Welcome to the Kerwin Baptist Church broadcast today. Our desire is for the Word of God to be spread throughout the world so that all may know Christ. Join us now for a portion of one of our services here at Kerwin Baptist Church, located in Kernersville, North Carolina. Isaiah chapter 61, let's look at verse 1 if you would. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, this obviously is the book of Isaiah, but this is a book of prophecy also. And in chapter 61, this is a prophecy of the Messiah. In other words, this is basically speaking of Jesus that was to come. Notice verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Wow, a whole bunch and just those three verses. Now, hold your place there. Now we're going to go to Luke chapter 4. We have now seen the prophecy that this is the characteristics and the operations of the Messiah that would come. Now in Luke chapter 4, the Messiah has come. Here's Jesus as he begins his earthly ministry. I want you to notice verse 14. And Jesus returned in the, in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth. Wow, right back to where he was born. Where he had been brought up. And when I say born, I mean raised. He was born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth, obviously. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day... And stood up for to read. This was his custom. He was, in, he was in the temple on Sabbath and he was going to read God's word. Now notice this. Look at verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah that we just read. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And the place he's talking of is exactly where we just read, Isaiah 61. And look as he repeats this fulfillment of prophecy. Notice verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, here's Jesus reading this. This was prophesied. This was as if it was Him. And whatever the Bible says is going to happen does happen, by the way. We can trust it. So now, this prophecy that was written through the, through the, the writings of Isaiah, as if it was Jesus Himself, the Spirit of God was upon me, now Jesus Himself is reading the exact prophecy here in the temple. Notice, if you would, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And He closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down... Wouldn't you like to have been there? Sit down. It's like a mic drop moment. And here they're all looking at him. Look, if you would, at verse 20. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, 
I love this. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Their eyes are fastened on him and he says, I'm the one that that was written about. This is the fulfillment of scripture. You are witnessing a fulfillment right in front of your face. Isn't this an awesome moment? Uh, it, it just, it, it's better than any movie. Even Hallmark. Better than any Hallmark movie. Because we would already known what was coming if it had been a Hallmark movie. What a wonderful, poignant moment. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless as I try to rightfully divide your word and as we try to brag on you for what you've done. You said you were coming. You came. You've honored your promise. And you, Lord, are still right now fulfilling this scripture that we just read. And Lord, I pray you'd help me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to take the Sunday morning and I'm going to take about five minutes because I want to teach you something. Nothing new under the sun. I think you understand this, but I want to put it in a light so you understand context. In the Old Testament, as it was prophesied of the Messiah coming all through the Old Testament, there were three main offices. <clears throat> Notice professionals. We always use the last three fingers when you put up the number three. I always used to do this, but I found that on TV and stuff, professionals always do that. All right? So we have, there are three main offices in the Old Testament that Jesus would fulfill, that the Messiah would have to fulfill. It is actually what's called a minus trioplex. That's a Bible doctrine term. Don't even worry about it. What it means this is that one person could literally hold three offices. By the way, you know that literally that God is a trinity. Here's three offices, but it's one person. Don't you love that? Anyway, all right. I'm the only one excited about that. Now, there are three main offices that are spoken of that needed to be fulfilled, that the Messiah had to be fulfilled in order to be the Messiah. It was prophet, priest, and king. Those three offices. And Jesus fulfills all three of these offices. Now, you say, why is that even important? Listen to me. As prophet, Jesus proclaimed the provision of forgiveness of sin and the redemption from sin. He proclaimed it. He said, it's coming. Then he said, it's here. I'm here. I'm offering that. That as what his office as prophet, he said it was coming and he brought it. Notice, secondly, as priest, Jesus then offered himself as that provision. He was the sacrifice for the provision that he prophesied about. Amen. Everybody got that? And then he was dead, buried, rose again. And as king, Jesus now reigns sovereign over all creation. Amen. Prophet, priest, and king. Now, let me say this. As prophet, he preached salvation. As priest, he was the sacrifice for that salvation. And as king, he is presented as sovereign sitting on the throne. Amen. Now, I, and I know you're like, okay, I believe this and I know this. Maybe I don't understand maybe all the context as this. Well, listen to me. <clears throat> Christ secured 
our freedom from sin. Give me liberty or give me death. And if you haven't understood the title yet, if God had not given us liberty, all we would have is death. Christ secured our freedom in the shedding of his blood. And he had to literally be able to hold and perform all three offices. Now, you have no idea yet why this is so important. He was the firstborn of the dead as priest. He was the faithful witness in the Old Testament as prophet. And he is king. I want to show you a verse, Revelation chapter 1. And look at this verse, verse 5. Please get this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, prophet, and the first begotten of the dead, priest. He is our high priest. He obviously was an intercessor between us and God, and he was the firstborn of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. There he is as king. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people said? Amen. So you got to understand all the way back here in Isaiah chapter 61 and in Luke chapter 4, as this prophecy came, if you'll notice the description of this passage, it's all three offices. And I'm going somewhere with all this. Notice if you would in verse 1 of Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. There's prophet. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. There's priest and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. There's king. You say, preacher, I don't see that. What do you mean? Only a king can pardon. Now, before we jump into this quickly, let me explain why this is all important. That is why what we believe doctrinally from the Bible that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And here's why. He's the only person that has ever been able to hold all three offices. There were other prophets. In fact, even Jesus in the New Testament was compared to Isaiah, the prophet. There have been other prophets. Look at me. There have been other priests. I mean, the Bible even says that Jesus is after Melchizedek. He is our high priest, higher than the office of Melchizedek, who was a high priest. So literally, there has been other prophets. There has been other priests. And there have been other kings, by the way. That's why the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, a forerunner, because David was king. And here is Jesus would become king of kings and Lord of lords. But there has never been anybody that was prophet and priest and king. That's why there are some religions that believe that you must pray to Mary to go to heaven. Dear friend, Mary could not be a prophet and a priest and a king. There are those with other religions that have other prophets associated with their religions. And they'll say, well, Jesus was a wonderful man and Jesus was a good prophet. But this person was a prophet and that person too. And they put them equal with Jesus. The problem is, I don't care what religion you think of, their leader was not a prophet and a priest and the king of kings. 
So this prophecy in Isaiah 61 is important because it means that it can only be Jesus Christ because no other person defeated death, hell, and the grave in order to be able to be prophet, priest, and king, to prophesy that sin would be covered, to be literally the priest that offered that covering for our sin, and to be king of kings because he conquered death and reigns forevermore. It had to be Jesus. I know you're like Sunday morning, 8.30. What in the world? Listen, I got to brag on Jesus this morning. So in Isaiah 61, we see all the ministries of Jesus in all three offices. And I just want to show them to you very, very quickly. All right. I want you to notice, number one, the Bible says that Jesus' ministry was to be here, number one, to preach to preach. Notice verse 1, the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. What's interesting in verse 1, it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. We all know in the New Testament that as John baptized Jesus, the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended from heaven like a dove upon Jesus. A fulfillment of the prophecy. Now here's what's even greater. In the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, all the way up until Jesus ascended back into heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon people. But when Jesus went to heaven and he said, hey, is it expedient for you that the Comforter, I give you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us. He dwells in us. You understand that? So here's the fulfillment that the Spirit of God is upon me. Notice number one, to preach good tidings unto the meek. Now I think this is great. This is his role as prophet, by the way. But I I, I find this interesting here that this word tidings. Now I didn't know this. I did a little research. And I'm sure that you could search around more and there would be research supposedly that interferes with this research or or disagrees. How many of you have heard of Tide Detergent? How many of you actually have some Tide at your house? I, we actually do. I saw it yesterday because I had to wash my own clothes. But anyway, so I, we have Tide also. I've always thought Tide, that's ocean, like the ocean tides and uh, whatever the case might be. And by the way, if you've smelled it, it doesn't smell like the ocean kind of a thing. But that's always what I thought. But that's not at all where Tide came from. Do you know that the, the detergent Tide came from the Bible? It is always associated with the Christmas story. I bring you good tidings, you know, the whole thing. But do you know what the word tidings means? That word tide, that prefix there, and it means fresh. And ings, tidings, means fresh message. It means that Jesus came to give a new, fresh message. Wow. You know what every preacher ought to be when they get up and preach the Word of God? It ought to be a fresh message. Jesus was called to bring new hope. And literally, as we know through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, there was this new gospel. And it was the same gospel, but the fact that it was available not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile and the Greek and all that. And literally, Jesus Christ is who brought that new message. Wow. The Bible says that he, was, he came to preach to the meek. This word meek here means lowly or humble. It means to those that were kind of down and out, Jesus had a message of hope for them. 
By the way, you and I were down and out before we met Jesus. I don't care how great you thought you were living it, you were down and out without Jesus. He came to preach. Notice number two, he came to heal. And he is still doing that, by the way. Look at verse one. He hath sent me, this is Jesus, meaning God the Father has sent me, notice this, to bind up the brokenhearted. This is his ministry as priest. This, this, this bind word literally means a splint or a tourniquet. But you know that a spirit, it says the brokenhearted. Notice this, if you would. The brokenhearted didn't say broken-bodied. It said broken-hearted. So it's speaking here of the spirit. Literally, that a spirit is not physical brokenness, but it is spiritual brokenness. Do you know that if I break my arm, I could put some kind of a splint or a tourniquet or whatever the case might be. But when I break my spirit, there's no such physical thing that I can do. And we have a lot of people that go try to find physical things and physical pleasures and, and what the world has to offer, thinking that that's going to fulfill this spiritual emptiness inside. But Jesus said, I am come to heal the brokenhearted. It means literally that Jesus, like a tourniquet, he wraps our soul, our spirit, and he literally heals us from the inside out. You know what doctors do? Oftentimes they heal us from the outside in. Jesus heals us from the inside out. Doctors can't heal your spirit. Doctors can't heal your soul. Jesus was sent to heal as priest. You say, well, why, why is that? Because a priest was literally the representative of God to man. And that's exactly what Jesus was. Notice number three, he was called to liberate. Now, as I read verse 1 the first time, I thought it's just kind of saying the same thing. And if you'll notice verse 1, it says, um, literally to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. But these are two totally different things. It's kind of the same thing, but in two totally different areas. So I want to explain that to you. And this is his role as king. Notice number, number 3, to liberate. It says to proclaim liberty or liberate to the captives. This is not talking about prisoners here. This is talking about slaves or someone that is enslaved, someone who is held captive. That's what sin did, by the way. The Bible says you and I, listen, y'all got to get a little bit better about saying amen at 830 in the morning. Come on. Can you say amen? amen. You ought to be excited about this because I'm bragging on Jesus. I'm not bragging on me. We don't have anything to brag about there. I'm bragging on Jesus. He's talking about captives. Listen to this. I love this. It doesn't even say that he worked to get liberty for the captives. What does the prophecy say here? He proclaimed liberty to the captives. He just spoke it. Dear friend, you and I no longer have to be enslaved to sin because he proclaimed liberty. We don't have to be enslaved to an individual. We don't have to be enslaved to sin. We don't even have to be enslaved to our own flesh. We now have the freedom to choose to do right. Yeah. Ooh, thank God. Notice number four, to pardon. See, this is slightly different than liberate. Because if you'll notice this last part of verse 1, it says, and the opening of the prison. You see, this first group, the captives, weren't in prison. They were enslaved. 
But now we're talking about individuals that were in prison, that were bound in their fetters and their chains, and, and they couldn't get out. Notice this, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Here, here's, here's where you and I, this is where I got all excited. Listen, as prophet, he preached good tidings. As priest, he is able, as our great high priest, what, notice what the Bible says, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He binds our broken heart. But as king, only kings can set captives free. Look at me. Only a king can come into a prison and say, listen, open up that door. Now, a prophet can go into that prison. And a prophet can go and look at those guys through those bars. I've preached in prisons. I've ministered in prisons in, in the south, out west, and all those things. And listen, I can proclaim good tidings. And I can uh, prophesy from the fact of telling the prophecy of Scripture and Jesus that he came and what he's done. But I cannot look to those guards and say, listen, I think that person should be free. Open that jail and let them out. They don't hear, they don't hear that from me. I can say that all day long. They're not going to do that. Hey, listen, there's been other priests, and a priest can come in, even in our own day vernacular, a priest could come in, or even a pastor could come in and minister to that person behind the bars, as we often have. But it takes a king to be able to get it open. It takes a king to be able to say, open that door. That person is forgiven. His record's gone. He's free to go, and no questions asked. It's better than you know this morning. Wow. Our king, he's pardoned us. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, our prison. And he opened the doors. And he said, you're free. Man, only a king can do that. If God had not given liberty... We would only have death. Number five, to warn. Look at verse two. It says that Jesus came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. What, what, what did Jesus come to proclaim? Yes, there's good tidings, there's hope, but it's the reminder, hey, that judgment is coming. That God will execute vengeance on sin. And you and I need to remember that. Listen, all the Bible and all of ministry isn't just la-la, good feelings, rah, 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 we all great, nothing to worry about, just peace and prosperity. Listen, may I remind you that Jesus is coming again, that judgment day is coming. And dear friend, we don't have time to mess around while people are dying and going to hell. He came to warn. By the way, any pastor worth his salt is going to warn my job isn't to make you feel good. My job is to tell you what the Bible says. Notice number six, to comfort. Look at verse two. He says, to comfort all that mourn. He came to comfort. Now, what's interesting, as I told you earlier, that Jesus, as he ascended back into glory, he said, it's expedient for you that I go to heaven and I leave you the comforter. But remember, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all God. And so he has now given us this Holy Spirit dwelling in us, God himself dwelling in us to comfort those that mourn. How many of you have watched him do it? 
You know, as a pastor, that's, not, that's the not-so-good part of the job. When tragedy strikes and things happen. But I have often had the front row seat to watching God comfort His children. I want you to notice this, number seven, to restore. You ought to thank God for this one, by the way. To restore. Notice verse three. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, those that have no hope, those that are, are literally have nothing but mourning in their life, that there's nothing to look ahead to. They're dying in their sin, all those things. But notice, those that put their faith and trust in God, notice this, to give unto them beauty for ashes, to restore. Things that have been burnt to the ground, there is no hope standing. And God gave beauty for ashes. What was dead, broken, burnt, decayed, and gone, God gave beauty for that. I, I think of the messes you and I have made in our lives, the ashes we've created, and God restored. Number eight, to encourage. You see, you got to understand every one of these things, look at me, don't get this, don't miss this. Every one of these things, Jesus is still performing. Because he's our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. Everyone, you say, well, what do you mean he's, you know, I keep, our prophet. Where do you think this word came from? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is our prophet because he wrote the prophecy. Just make sure you understand all that. Notice verse 3. Not just beauty for ashes, but notice the oil of joy for mourning. He gives us joy where there was sadness. He encourages. I don't know about you, but I have found times in my life where I couldn't find a whole lot to be joyful about. But that's what's wonderful about our Savior. He doesn't just provide happiness, He provides joy. See, happiness only comes when things are happening. That's why the world has to be doing something to be happy. And then they suffer the consequences of it later, but they got to go now and go do some more of it because they can't be happy unless something's happening. But joy remains. The Bible says that the Lord is still giving us joy for mourning. Notice number nine to uplift. Verse three says the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God gives us the ability, even in the time of our life when things are heavy and burdens are great, He literally gives us the garment of praise. It means that as a child of God, there is no situation where I do not have good reason to praise. It's gratitude. It's praising God. It means literally even in the middle of heaviness. And notice what the Bible says here in verse 8. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You see, that is literally his role as priest. He is binding the brokenhearted. He gives in that spirit of heaviness. When our spirit is hurting and wounded, he literally wraps it, binds it, puts a splint on it, and gives us the garment of praise. Man, how exciting. You know what Psalm 34, 18 says? The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be 
of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Number 10, to plant. Jesus came to plant. Now this is great. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 3, excuse me. Number 10, verse 3. That they might be called, who's they? Us. Those who have put our faith and trust in Christ, believers. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Do you understand this? He came to plant you and me. He came to plant us like trees. And what does the Bible say we are to be? Trees of righteousness. It means that we ought to be trees that are bringing forth fruit. And the fruit should be righteousness. Thank you for listening today. We hope you received a blessing from our broadcast. The Kerwin Baptist Church is located at 4520 Old Hollow Road in Kernersville, North Carolina. You may also contact us by phone at 336-993-5192 or via the web at kerwinbaptistchurch.com. Enjoy our services live and all our media on our website and church app. Thank you for listening to the Kerwin broadcast today. God bless you.